Um, because I think if my life has taught me anything, it's that anything can happen. Uh, you know, at any given time, someone could get sick. At any given time, someone could lose their job. Uh, at any given time, I could have to pick up and move somewhere. Uh, I lost, I mean, we didn't cover this, but I lost my dad in a house fire. It wasn't actually Lou Gehrig's disease um, that that killed him. It was that the firefighters weren't able to get him out of our burning house in time before he suffocated. Oh. So I am not attached to any material possessions. So let's say that my business wasn't able to pivot. Katie and I were struggling in terms of finances. We couldn't have nice things. I'd be like, that's fine. I don't fucking need nice things. I don't need anything. Right? I just need my wife and I need to know that my mom's safe and that's it. Um, so I think my life is just so fluid um, to the point where I've learned to navigate anything and everything regardless of what comes up. And this is episode 097 with Jamie Filler. So thank you so much for joining in today, guys, of None of Your Business podcast. So Jamie Filler, she is a published fitness model, online personal trainer, just all-around hustler badass. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Share this with a friend. And enjoy. What's up, guys? This is a None of Your Business podcast, a podcast where we talk about anything but your business and ask questions that's no one's business. Now, it is my mission to bring you inspiring, soaring talent from the heart. We all go through struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is, but we can overcome them. And I'm going to show you how. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let the show begin. And real quick, guys, so if you want 10% off of EastCoastTags.com's amazing apparel that is going and supporting the Black Lives Movement right now, then you can use the promo code none of your business or NOYP. So go over to EastCoastTags.com, learn all about them, learn all about what they're doing right now. So I love you guys and enjoy the episode. And all right. So Jamie, welcome to the None of Your Business podcast. So who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is Jamie. Uh, I am of Toronto, Canada, but in the last three years have relocated to Clearwater, Florida. Um, married an American, got my green card, and now I am working as an online personal trainer. Okay. So how did you get into that? When I was 17, 18 years old, and there was a lot of pressure to pick what it was you were going to major in in university. I had no idea what I liked, but I knew that gym and recess were my favorite subjects. So when I found out that you could major in kinesiology, which was essentially gym plus recess, I said, that is 100% it for me. So I spent four years at university in Toronto. Uh, and at the time, Jillian Michaels was the biggest thing in fitness. It was, there was nothing even comparable to her level of fame, but also anything that had brought personal training to the mainstream like that. Okay. So I became truly and utterly obsessed, decided that that was going to be the path that I took because it was the only thing I had known. Uh, fitness in fact, helped me get my life back. It helped save my life. 
So I decided that that was what I was going to do to leave my legacy on the world. Okay. And so you, you said that fitness helped you get your life back together. What do you mean by that? Uh, at 11 years old, I started my first diet, which progressed rapidly to full-blown anorexia by the time I was 14. I was hospitalized twice at 15, once at 16, and it pretty much destroyed me. It wasn't until a bodybuilding judge in 2004 told me after I walked off stage that I looked like I belonged in the hospital, not in a competition, that uh, I realized it was time to sober up. Okay. So when you're at 11 years old, like what was going through your mind? Um, I mean, a whole lot. It was, I had moved, uh, I think you call them middle schools in the U.S. I transitioned yeah. it into fifth grade and my parents shifted me off to a new school. And I think I just didn't know what to do with myself, but I noticed that all of the girls at this new school were really small. So I thought that's kind of what I had to be in order to be cool and popular and liked. Um, but on the other hand, I'd grown up with a father who had Lou Gehrig's disease. And that was all I had known. And I also understood my parents' relationship to be that of my mom taking care of my dad. Now, don't get me wrong, they're truly the gold standard to which I hold all relationships. But at the end of the day, my mom nursed my dad. So to me, I understood love as one person taking care of another. Yeah, so absolutely. I think subconsciously, if I put myself in the hospital, I would get just as much love from my parents, from my siblings, from my grandmother, as my father was receiving. Mm, that's that's interesting from your standpoint, because I'm a recovering heroin addict. Well, really, pretty much anything. If you, yeah, women, men, drugs, booze, whatever. Anything to make myself feel different, but like, I just, I went to middle school and I didn't feel like I would fit in. So what were the kids doing? Smoking weed, drinking, and then eventually just escalated to me sticking a needle in my arm and I, I didn't feel good enough. So I felt like if you sleep with me or if you smile at me or if you just walk by the street with me, then you love me. Like, I didn't know what love was. I had, and like, I kind of know what love is today. But anyways, just like I thought, um, if I take care of someone else, then, then that's, that's true love like that. That's what it's supposed to look like. Like my dad's a, an alcoholic. So like my mom did the same thing with my dad, just nursing them. So, you know, when you're growing up and you, and you saw your mom taking care of your father and your dad is going through this, like the father daughter relationship, like that's your, that's your rock. That's your best friend, right? Like how were you processing that? Um, so it's interesting in, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I would go with kind of spiritual, but, um, we grew up very secular Jewish okay. and there is, a, I don't know if you'd call it a theory proposition. I don't know. Something in Judaism that states that people who are disabled physically have a soul that is too pure for the ethereal world. And they almost had to be like maimed in the physical. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, Rob. Um, so kids who are born with Down syndrome, um, Lou Gehrig's disease, it's all part of the fact that your heart and your soul were too pure. You couldn't, like, our, our God wouldn't let you be 
a perfect human. So something had to go wrong. Also, I believe um, that when you are disabled to an extent, mm -hmm. the world almost listens to you in a different way. Mm, right? What, what do you mean by that? So have you, oh, I, I'm not, I'm going to butcher his last name. I'm so sorry. Nick, he calls himself Nick Santos, but it's a really long, like Greek last name. He's got no arms and no legs. I, uh, I something to Nastasos. I but you know think, what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I think I actually listened to an interview that he was on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, the guy's one of the most inspirational people I've ever heard. But would he have the same, or rather, would his message have the same impact if he looked like you or I? No, but like we listen to him because we're like, this is a guy who's had something to say. He has lived a life and I want to know what happened. So having a dad who was so respected and went on motivational speaking tours and he was still able to perform his duties as a superior court judge in Ontario, I was, I felt like I was receiving a gift. I wasn't immune to it just because I was his daughter. I was, I was as much of a fangirl as the newspaper reporter coming into our house once a month. Oh, wow. That's super interesting. Like, yeah. Okay. So, wow. So let's look at that view when you, you know, being a young girl and the newspaper reporter coming in to write an article on your father, like what, did, what was that like? Uh, so it's funny. I've recently, I, really big on like mindfulness and, and journaling and uh, going into deep dives with my psyche these days, because there's nothing else to do in quarantine. And I was thinking about it. My sister, who is 18 years, my senior, um, struggled with bulimia and anorexia when she was in her teens to the point where she got kicked out of a ballet school three times for passing out. Oh, and wow. my father just kept paying his way, her way back in. And I think that as incredible as he was, what he was doing with his life put an unrealistic standard on his kids. Like I've got three older siblings, two out of three are doctors. All right. And I'm trying over here to make a name for myself, a legacy, trying to be the best black sheep of my family I can be. And I don't know if that would have been the case if my dad hadn't done everything he'd done in his position. If yeah. he was just another judge, it'd be great. And we'd look up to him because that's what we do in this society. But a judge with Lou Gehrig's disease who is continuing to practice, that's like, how is it? How are his kids ever going to live up to that standard? Yeah. Yeah. So do you think you getting into your eating disorder was like something that you could control? I think it was inevitable. I don't think it could have been controlled at the time because it's i mean we try no, no, to no 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 i i probably worded that wrong it, like did you feel like a sense of control uh yes and of course the irony is anyone who struggled with addiction is that you're like no 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 i've got this right yeah. like i i know when it's gonna go into my arm i can stop at one drink right like i thought that you know if, hey listen you know if i want to eat dinner i can no the fear when my mom would put that plate in front of me was like gripping and I couldn't, it was like someone was strangling me and I almost did want to eat it. But the fear inside of me was like, you can't you fucking kidding me. Absolutely not. You cannot eat that. 
So no, absolutely. In hindsight, there is no control whatsoever when it comes to addiction or or mental health. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, totally, totally agree with you. Oh, yeah. So like, when was the first time that you went stepped on stage for competing? Uh, 2004. I think I did eight shows between 2004 and 2005. I did one in 2008, then 2012, and 2016. Mm, and then uh, which one was the when the judge said that you should be in the hospital? So in 2005, uh, I've always competed naturally still to this day. Um, and it was a, the organization was called Fame. And I got on stage at 95.6 pounds at 5'8". Jesus. Yeah, at eight, I think it was 18. 95 yeah 18 okay so now like what did you start doing to like get in recovery uh social worker hiring a social worker was my first uh order of business because i was mature enough to realize i couldn't do it alone like obviously doing it alone was not working for me um i came clean with my mom uh, even though she, like, obviously I'd been hospitalized three times. She knew I had an issue, but everyone was just waiting for me to admit it. Cause I was in denial for 10 years. Um, and I think open dialoguing with my friends and family, because of course they all knew, but you don't, you have to tiptoe around someone like this, right? Cause you don't know if it's going to make them worse. You don't know if they're going to get angry at you. I had a very small temper back then. So I think just bringing my friends into the conversation, into my heart, into my mind, and same with my mom, um, was definitely what started me. And then I just felt better, right? Like when you go clean for a period of time or when you give your body the nutrients it needs, it's a whole new physiological drug. I fell in love with food again. I fell in love with having the energy to train appropriately. Uh, And then that just essentially got me better that's what got me on the path to getting better okay so if you could tell the younger version of yourself or the younger version of anyone who might be struggling with something similar what you went through yeah what would it be so truthfully i wouldn't tell the younger version of myself anything because even though it's not on the same level If it wasn't for my eating disorder, I don't know if I would have the platform that I do now. I grew on Instagram because I'm relatable, but I'm not relatable, right? Like I've got all of these followers and I look a certain way right now, but I also struggled. I was at 95 pounds at one point and I was at 180. There's nothing I haven't experienced that you've experienced. Like come at me, bro. Um, But I, I would tell younger people or even older people who are struggling, just tell somebody. It is going to feel so much better. Even if you're going to continue for six months, nine months, 12 months, let somebody know so at least you're not fighting a battle alone. Mm. Mm. That, I like that. I like that a lot. That, uh, yeah, I really like that. So, like, do you have like a morning routine that helps you be in recovery? Um, not anymore. I have, I don't know if you can call them like peccadillos, but I have certain OCDs that Uh help me manage my recovery. For example, 
I weigh in as often as possible. It doesn't mean anything to me. Like the number on the scale is the number on the scale. Sometimes it'll fluctuate three to six pounds. Like it, do, it doesn't matter me getting on a scale. Like I just feel better. Um, as often as possible, I track my macros. Now there's a difference between tracking your macros and following them. Very rarely do I follow them. I mm. eat what I want when I want it. Um, but again, inputting that sense of control, like inputting numbers and values into an app makes me feel better. Mm. Um, what else? I mean, I train daily, but that's mostly for my mental health. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a period of time where I was injured. I had ACL surgery. I've herniated discs, so I've not been able to train. And it's not like I stop eating altogether. Uh, it's still managed, but mostly just certain things throughout the day just help me calm myself down. I also, I mean, the, if you've ever been in uh, like addiction recovery center or a hospital for a mental health issue, you never want to go back. Like all it takes is one hospitalization. And you're like, no, we good now. I'm okay. You know, I wish I had that experience. Um, <laughs> in the summer of 2018, I ended up being homeless in Vegas for like five months. And like, because I wasn't taking care of my body, I would just, I would, I was playing the hospital three or four times in the month of April. And then when I got back to Montana, I ended up overdosing on meth and heroin. And like, I want to say like when I woke up in the hospital and saw my family crying because they thought they fucking lost me because they had to uh, call the ambulance because I wasn't responding in their basement. You know, I, I thought maybe that would be the moment where I'm like, okay, maybe, but no, I ripped out the IV in my arm, grabbed my clothes and fucking walked out the door. And then later that night, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I need to get back in recovery um, because yeah. I've had, you know, a substantial amount of time in recovery, but then I, I stopped, I guess, taking care of myself and stopped living in recovery and I go back to my old ideas. And, yeah. you know, I, uh, a lot of the reasons why I, you know, was drinking and using because I grew up in Helena, Montana and being a bisexual man in that city, it was like, it wasn't okay at the time. It was not okay. So like, I know you're married, right? You want to mm -hmm. tell us about your relationship? Yes. Uh, yes, I do. So I, uh, like I said, I grew up, um, secular Jewish, but it, I mean, nobody that I know of came out in high school. I mean, I was engaged until I was 25. So I, I was, was I gay in high school? Like I wasn't gay in high school. I had boyfriends in high school, but it just wasn't something that ever occurred to like nice Jewish girls who went to private Jewish high school. We just didn't think of that. Um, and same with boys. And then at Jewish summer camp, again, there were no same-sex relationships. So I didn't have a, I guess you could call it a model to work mm -hmm. off of. Um, and uh, was never exposed to porn. So like, again, never saw girls kissing girls, boys kissing boys. Um, so it wasn't really until later in college that I even, the idea of like a lesbian it was, and then it was just like, huh. Good for you guys. I will go to your pride parades because those boys' bodies are smoking hot. Uh, and then I ended, uh, and then at 25, I think I ended my 
engagement to a nice Jewish boy named Ben. And he was fantastic. And I started dating my massage therapist who was a female. And she said, I don't actually, and she's been out her whole life. And she said, I don't actually know if you're gay. Like, what are we doing here? And I said, honestly, I have nothing to lose. Let's just give it a go. See what happens. Take really? it for a spin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's... I was super open-minded at that point. I'm like, well, I'm 25. I'm like already expired by Jewish girl standards. All of my friends are married. May as well date a girl. Wow huh yeah. <laughs> that's super interesting like i like i was struggling with it since i was like i don't know eight and like what the fuck is going on here like he's cute she's cute um i get you know my friends are calling people faggots i'm like what the fuck's going on like yeah. super so i just covered up with drugs and booze and then eventually I just got like addicted you know when you do opiates for any amount of time you end up getting addicted so that's super interesting. Like, huh? Good for you. That's awesome. Thank you. It's just a matter of being open-minded, Rob. Like you just, Hey, like, why not? Like I'll try anything once. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like now that you're living your best life. Yes. Like if you could wake up and have the perfect day, you didn't have any work. If you didn't want to, you could wake up. Obviously, next to what well, you're married now, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so I've been married for two years. We celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary, April 5th. Congratulations. Thank you. So if you and your wife could wake up anywhere in the world and do whatever you wanted, what yeah. would that day look like? Uh, well, she'd hate it, but it's my perfect day. I'd wake up in New York City. I would wake up in... Um, the park plaza in new york city right in the heart of manhattan and i would go downstairs because i obviously found a coupon for free breakfast and uh we'd have brunch we'd go work out in the fitness center leave probably see a broadway play grab lunch two more broadway plays uh dinner in a fancy restaurant where the calories didn't count then go to juniors for cheesecake and then uh, pass out in one of the most epic carb comas you've ever seen. Mm. Yep. So it would have an element of Broadway, fitness, my wife, and cheesecake. So why hasn't that day happened? Oh, it has. Oh. That's, that's how I knew exactly how <laughs> it um, When was it? It was in June. I took my wife to New York for her birthday. Oh. Um, and the weather was perfect because she will only go to New York like three months of the year because it's just too cold for a walking city. Uh, so I bought us a, a trip. We stayed in a nice hotel. It wasn't the Park Plaza, but she took me for brunch in the Park Plaza. So it was a little bit. Uh, we ended up getting Junior's Cheesecake with a friend. I got a Jewish deli sandwich and we saw three Broadway plays in two days. Well, that sounds like an amazing day. It was an amazing day. I hope to create more when the world opens up again. Right? Yeah. No yeah. kidding. Jeez. I forget that like the world is like closed. I can't like, go anywhere. Unless you road trip it, you can't go anywhere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm in Montana. And you do my job is like 30 miles outside of town in the middle of the woods. So like when I come back into town, I'm like, oh yeah, I can't do anything. There's right? that. Yeah. So, okay. So 
Now we're talking about your perfect day of waking up. Like, do you have a morning routine? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would say I do. I wake up, um, around the same time every day, anytime between seven and seven twenty. it really depends which dog is outside of our door. Um, the younger one doesn't let us sleep in as much. So go, uh, I've five cue cards beside my bed that have my goals for 2020 on them. So before I get out of bed to open the door for the dogs, I just scan over my cue cards really quickly, come out, go downstairs, uh, walk the dogs with my wife. We chat about our days and then come back. Um, I will typically make breakfast for both of us. And then what we, you know, two roads diverge. Yeah. So it's really nothing like. I, I don't meditate in the morning. If anything, I do at midday to give myself a break or at the end of the day. Um, but it, it always involves, you know, wife, dogs, food. I like it. Yeah. Like it. So you came to the U.S. Yes. You started from scratch. Mm. Like, what do you mean by that? So uh, I worked for, uh, for five years, I worked for Canada's biggest bodybuilding magazine. And I had worked myself up from being just someone who went to bodybuilding shows and tweeted about who was on stage and what they looked like, which evolved into social media coordinator, which evolved into the editor of uh, the magazine.com, which then evolved into literally being the editor in chief of the physical paper magazine, which was super cool. Um, but then in March of 2017, I think, no, March of 2018, uh, I proposed to my wife. Uh, we'd been dating for a year. I knew that she was it for me. I wanted to lock it in. And we were living in Massachusetts at the time because she was in grad school. And um, I called an immigration lawyer about the marriage um, that had come highly recommended. And they said, well, what is your plan for work? And I said, I don't, I don't know. And they said, well, you can't you can't work for a Canadian company and, and live in America and get your permanent resident card. There's a whole bunch of like visa and tax implications. And so what do you propose I do? And I said, well, you, you either have to leave your wife or leave your job. So peace out to the magazine. Um, Katie and I got married uh, a month after I proposed uh, and then thus beginning the application process for a green card because in America, you're not allowed to work legally, which is the only way I wanted to work. Uh, until you get the okay for the green card. Now, at that point, Trump had only been elected like six months. And so the immigration office with everything he believes in uh, was slightly backed up. Oh, that you, that, wow. Okay, you you came during that time. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So I had to wait nine months which is actually really short because I had friends who applied. I applied to Tampa, the, the Tampa Office of Immigration. Um, I had friends applying in New York City and they were backed up for 18 to 24 months. Really? So even though, oh yeah, even though it was super shitty to have to be unemployed and, and not be able to contribute to my family for nine months, I thank God when I hear stories of 18 to 24 months of unemployment. So by starting from scratch, I mean, there was a nine month gap where I couldn't do anything but coach CrossFit for free just to pay off my membership to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Okay. Yeah. So 
now that you're a personal, you're an online personal trainer, right? Yep. So if somebody is like, Hey, Jamie, COVID-19, we're going into phase one. I need to get back in the gym because my new year's resolution went out the window already. already. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, what would your, what would you tell your client or potential client? Uh, well, it depends. I need to know more about your goals. Like you getting back in the gym, I could put you on a treadmill for 30 to 60 minutes and we'd burn a little bit, but I mostly, I take a very, I mean, I like to say I put the personal back in personal training. Um, you know, my plans typically aren't cookie cutter unless you're buying the ebook. Uh, I, I believe in taking a personal approach to the nutrition component the supplement protocols, the training component. So, you know, whoever this person is, we would have to have a pretty thorough discussion either on the phone or via email about what their goals are so that I could actually craft them something that's going to work. Yeah. So again, I I like that. Not again, but I like that. It's not like, oh, just buy my workout plan and you'll get fit. This is, you'll have the dream body, right? Is that you actually have Uh a thorough conversation with someone and actually know what the what they want so yes i like that okay okay so you're down in florida like what do you besides spending time with your wife like what do you like to do in your free time um uh i i i consume information voraciously so I am constantly either reading or listening to an audiobook or one of five podcasts that I subscribe to, or I'm reading a book. Or for my birthday last year, Katie got me a subscription to both Wired Magazine and Psychology Today. So at any given time, if I'm not doing something physical, I'm doing something intellectual or uh, working on client programs. I don't know. I don't have any free time. I don't even know if I answered your question because I'm no. always busy. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I get it. It, uh, I'm consuming. Let's put it that way. I'm consuming. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever take a vacation? Uh, so funny you should ask the last vacation we had because the world closed, um, was Sedona, Arizona. Mm. We saw the Grand Canyon in November and it, we were gone for five days over Thanksgiving. And Katie said, you were allowed 60 minutes per day to work. So do I take a vacation? I take vacations all the time. I was just in New York and we went to Boston in March and then we were in Sedona, but one hour a day. That's like our our little relationship rule. Cause she also knows that my work grounds me. It calms me. I am, you know, my, uh, my cortisol isn't high, but I'm always running at this level of energy. So if I don't do something that like is habitual and ritual and grounds me, then I'm going to be anxious for the rest of the day. So if we get the workout done and then she's showering and whatever, watching TV and I get my one hour of work, she's going to get such a better wife for the rest of the day. And we're both very aware of that. Mm. Mm. That's super interesting. Yeah. So what do your days look like when you don't get to work? I don't know what that means. If I mean, so, I mean, we were in, we were in Sedona, so we would go hiking for like three or four hours, or we took one of those pink Jeep tours and we were gone for three or four hours. So if I'm not working, my days are busy. They, I have to have something to occupy my mind and, or my body. 
No, no, I, I, yeah, no, I totally understand that. But like, have you ever like had a day where you life happened and you couldn't work for at least an, an hour? Yeah. Um, on Easter weekend, we took a jet ski out in St. Pete. So I couldn't work for four hours and it was okay. <laughs> oh, you mean like an actual day? Oh, no. Yes. That's ridiculous. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no <there's> never, <laughs> there's never been a day where I have not worked for an hour. What the hell? What does that even mean? <laughs> okay. Okay. I love it. I love it. I just want to know, like, what. No. What does Jamie actually like? What does Jamie? How does Jamie respond to life without working? Is really what I'm trying to get at. Uh, yeah. So I was. In, we were watching. Have you ever seen the Prodigal Son? That show on. Uh, we're watching it on Hulu, but I don't know where it ends. It's about a serial killer and his son. No, I don't really watch TV. I, but go on. I'm interested. Tell me more. Anyway, so he's just. So he's a serial killer, but he's also a doctor, and he's one of the best surgeons. Was one of the best surgeons before he was locked up. And he killed 23 people. And he said, um, but I've saved thousands. So at the end of the day, my net balance is still positive. Right? (laughs) Okay. So I've never killed anyone in my entire life. But every single day, I have the option to open a DM that could change someone's life, change someone's day, change someone's perspective, change someone's body. Why would I not give myself an hour to potentially change someone's life? That seems almost negligent on my part not to work. Mm. You got a point there. You got a point there. Like, I love getting emails or DMs because they're like, oh, you know, I listened to your podcast and I didn't drink today. Or I listened to your podcast and then I realized that like, oh, because so-and-so had this struggle, I can do that too. It doesn't matter what our background is. We can overcome it. Mm-hmm. So I know you struggled, you know, coming out of the closet at 26. Well, it doesn't really seem like you struggled with that. You were just like, let's go. I got yeah. it. Yeah. Bam. I like, punched my way out of it. Um, but my... Go ahead. I don't know, but your eating disorder, your father coming to the U.S. starting from scratch, like you're just killing it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. what? If you were going to give like your last last Instagram story, if I can talk, I'm sorry. If you were going to, you know, do your last Instagram story and you wanted to leave the world with some inspiration, motivation for the last time, what would you say and why? I would say... Your life is a reflection of what you believe is possible for yourself. Mm. Mm. No, why do you think, why would you say that? Uh, Because I don't believe that anything happens to you. I believe that everything happens for you. And uh, as a result of the event, your response will dictate the outcome, not the event itself. Um, you know, I'm reading a really awesome book right now. And the, the premise essentially is this equation that O, no, E plus R equals O and it's event plus response equals outcome. And everyone blames the event for the outcome. Nobody wants to take that personal responsibility in the middle, but the best part of it is if you take responsibility, you get to affect the outcome altogether. It's all on you, which is 
the most empowering, amazing feeling. It doesn't make you feel like a victim. It makes you feel like anything you want, you have the, the potential to create. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once you take ownership of your life, definitely changes the perspective do you look at the glass half full or half empty well i look at it half full because I, i'll take what i got i might have been dealt this shitty plate but my, like my struggles can be somebody else's success well storage of success like i can sit and be pity and be like yeah fuck me yeah, I'm an alcoholic. and just be a little bitch about it but if i take ownership and decide to take action i can live my best life and i want to acknowledge you for you living your best life like I, I love your Instagram stories. You're just and this like interview right now. You're just like so much energy. Like, it's just bam, and uh, yeah, I love it. And I'm yeah, I love it. Like I feel like I'm being attacked by you in a positive way, and this lion behind me is just gonna email. Like I'm, you're sandwiched in the best possible um, spirit animal sandwich. Yeah. Exactly. What does yeah. your shirt say? Does this shirt make me look Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Oh my god. That's funny. So, do you think it does? I do. Well, it's not. So I had a business meeting today, and my business coach is from Calgary. Or I think Alberta, somewhere in Alberta. Anyway, and. Uh, he said, it only makes you look Canadian if you say a boot. And said, okay, does this shirt make me sound Canadian? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. no. I've lost my accent. My wife is very disappointed that I don't sound Canadian anymore. Well, just go back home. I know. I just have to have a longer conversation with my mom, but we all know how that goes. You don't want to have a longer conversation with your mom. Yeah, right. <laughs> Never want to have a longer conversation with their mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you said that you're reading books. You're always like reading something. You're always taking on information. Like what's the, what's the type of, not type. What podcasts are you listening to? What books are you reading? Who are the authors? What yes. are your recommendations? Oh my God. Um, so my favorite is when my clients ask me for what I'm reading. Cause then I know that they're really invested, right? That because what I do isn't just about the body. It's about transforming the human, right? Like your before and after pictures, you you can't actually see what I do for my clients. They may have abs now, they didn't have them then, but what's more important is their relationship with food, their relationship with their body, learning to be mindful. So I love when people ask me what I'm consuming. Um, I have two, uh, I guess you could call them like hard copy, hard copy books on the go. Um, one is the Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I haven't heard of it. Okay, that, it's the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And that Oh, year. okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what he's famous for. Um, and uh, what's it called? Oh, uh, delivering happiness, something about products, uh, profits, and success by Tony Shea, who started Zappos. Mm, I think I've listened to an interview with him. Oh, he's, he's super great, super awesome. And just to hear about the Zappos philosophy, not so much, it's not Tony's story. It's not like not his autobiography, it's Zappos's autobiography. So those are hard copy. I am listening to um, The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford, who was Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, um, essentially their mindset coach. Oh really? oh, really? Yeah, 
absolutely phenomenal book. So I've got like two more hours left in that. Um, I am listening to, uh, there's one called the rewire podcast by Ryan Stuman, the empire podcast by Bedros Koulian, um, chasing excellence by Ben Bergeron, CrossFit coach, uh, the real AF podcast by Andy Frisella and revive stronger by some guy in the UK. So I've got spiritual, I've got CrossFit. I've got, um, business finance and bodybuilding. Love it. Yeah. I try to be as well-rounded as possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm very well-rounded, but I try to be well-rounded. Well, yeah, no, a lot of people, like, whatever. If you just want to listen and play video games all day, like that's cool. Like you do you, but that's just not how I want to live my life. If I'm not learning, then I'm dying. Yes. And, totally. You can learn yeah. something even from the most boring book or like you can get something from anything if yeah, you no. try, if you Abs- try. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So now that you're in quarantine, like, have you struggled with like anything with your eating disorder and mental health? Like how are you managing that? Um, I think, I think I, well, I don't think, I know that I'm lucky in that my business didn't have to pivot considerably because ever since 2018 or 2019, rather, when I got my green card, I started online because I didn't have a network in Massachusetts. And I knew that it was only a matter of time before Katie and I moved to Florida. So what's the point in even having clients? So 98% of my business has always been online. And then when it came to fitness, I'm very much used to the CrossFit box. Mm-hmm. So when Katie and I bought a house in Clearwater, uh, we created our own little bare bones CrossFit gym in our garage. All we need are a couple dumbbells, a couple kettlebells, a squat rack, and an airdyne. And we literally have the best workout. So my fitness didn't have to pivot that hard. Um, I'm very much an introvert. I have like six friends and all of them CrossFit. So three of them, three out of the six have been coming to our garage gym every morning, cleaning it thoroughly and then leaving. So I get to see, like, I hate to say it, but like this hasn't particularly affected me in a negative way because I've already set my life up in little bubbles that everything can do anything regardless of what happens. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on that note, you've set your life up. So if anything happens, you're set up like, why do you think you do that? Um, because I think if my life has taught me anything, it's that anything can happen. Uh, you know, at any given time, someone could get sick at any given time, someone could lose their job. Uh, at any given time I could have to pick up and move somewhere. Uh, I lost, I mean, we didn't cover this, but I lost my dad in a house fire. It wasn't actually Lou Gehrig's disease, um, that, that killed him. It was that the firefighters weren't able to get him out of our burning house in time before he suffocated. Oh, so I am not attached to any material possessions. So let's say that my business wasn't able to pivot. Katie and I were struggling in terms of finances. We couldn't have nice things. I'd be like, that's fine. I don't fucking need nice things. I don't need anything. Right. I just need my wife and I need to know that my mom's safe and that's it. Um, so I think my life is just so 
fluid um, to the point where I've learned to navigate anything and everything, regardless of what comes up. Mm. Like I'm, I, I, you know, thank you for sharing that about your father, and I'm sorry that that happened. Um, and but with everything your life experiences, like I don't know a lot of people that can just like pick up and go, except for myself. Like I don't really care. Like I don't. I don't know if it's because the lifestyle that I used to live, I would just always move every three months because paranoia or I couldn't pay my rent, whatever. Just um, drug addicts don't really make good money. So, um, you know, there's that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but like, I'm not attached to materialistic things. Like yeah. that just does not, like, I don't need the fancy car to make myself feel better. I don't need the hot wife or hot man to make me feel good inside because I'm, if I'm okay with who I am on the inside, then it doesn't matter where it's at. Yeah. And that's what you get to take with you anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I personally don't feel like I've been, the only thing that has negative negatively affected me during COVID is that the gym's closed. Yeah. Like my I work with kids who I work in a therapeutic. I cannot talk today. I'm sorry. I work in a therapeutic boarding school. So like with my recovery, I still get to help people. So me being in service is living in recovery. I still get to help people. I'm 30 miles out of town. They feed me three times a day. It might not be the healthiest food, but they do. So I get to do everything that like I essentially need to do and still live my life like i could do home workouts um i that's not really i I just i like to squat and deadlift if i had a squat rack then i'd be set but doing I know, right that's all you need literally a barbell and a squat rack yeah yeah anything yeah. else i've tried to do i have a pull-up bar somewhere and i was like nah, no yeah so it was so nice to get back in the gym and and uh it was amazing so you got a couple last questions for you jamie sure where can people find you clearwater no please don't (laughs) find such an introvert i don't don't want to hang out um i met on the internet yeah just find me on the internet it's so much easier for everybody um jame j-a-i-m-9-1 on instagram uh facebook is jamie filer fitness uh my website is jamiefiler.com i just i try to make it easy <laughs> yeah mostly online you can find me online mm. yeah okay so if somebody was going to open up your instagram story for the first time not for the last time but the first time yeah and they want to know where they're headed with you in this journey yeah what do you think that would say uh red pill or blue pill (laughs) (laughs) um wow okay i guess so it's it's really the same thing every day uh but in different forms they'd know that um we do not tolerate homophobia on my page so they'd have to be okay with uh you know me saying my wife a lot um, they'd have to be okay with some photos that are not safe for work. Um, do a lot of selfies. 
um, fitness. They'd have to be okay with the fact that I use fitness to, to, as my vehicle for my message. Like I'm motivational. There's something I, I'm going to say that's going to inspire someone every day, whether I know it or not. But often the vehicle I use to do it is in fitness. Like I've got this new thing going um, called talk between sets. And I'll just be, I'll be squatting and I'll be listening to EDM and, and doing it. And a thought will hit me and I'll be like, oh my God, I have to do a story about it because I'm going to lose it if I don't say it right now. So they shouldn't expect me to just have this high quality setup where I'm doing a really nice, like not choreographed, what's the word I'm looking for? Like curated, mm -hmm. perfect story. It's, it's raw, it's honest, it's real, and it's probably going to be based on fitness. Love it. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening right now, definitely go check out our Instagram story right now. It's just bam. I love it. Yeah. Specifically today was motivational because I had a really good, motivational piece but i also hit a pr in deadlifting so like you're gonna get the best of all worlds hell yeah that's awesome yeah. that's awesome that's, hell yeah all right well jamie thank you for your time appreciate it you got any last words your life is a reflection of what you believe is possible for yourself love it that's it love it.